This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. We'll have two hours of advanced analysis, the X's and O's, headlines around the NBA, and breakdown of your Utah Jazz. Here are your hosts, Zach Harper and Andy Larson, on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. He is Andy Larson. You can find him on Twitter at Andy B. Larson. He's the... Managing editor of Salt City Hoops, the True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. He's also the Utah Jazz beat writer at KSL.com. That's me. Again, find him on Twitter. At Andy B. Larson, my name is Ben Anderson. I host your Ute React postgame shows right here on ESPN 700. Occasionally fill in for Bill Riley. When he is out of town, you can find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. If you have questions, we'll take your calls, 877-353-0700, as this is the Salt City Hoops show. We're talking NBA basketball, specifically the Utah Jazz which is our area of expertise, yours, yep. even more so than mine. No, you're good. You're uh, Ben's hoops, for crying out loud. And then, that's uh, a broad. It could be any type of hoop. <laughs> Hula hoops, college hoops. Sure. Uh, you can also tweet at Andy, as I mentioned the third time now, at Andy B. Larson or at Ben's Hoops. That's uh, the easiest way to get involved. If you've got questions you want to ask about the jazz, you want to ask about the NBA, general life questions, keep them to a minimum because we have bad life advice. No, yeah. Um, uh, by the way, I think you're a bad luck charm. Okay. Every, the last two times you've done the show, the Jazz have been on three-game losing streaks the week before. Huh. The Jazz so are like, beaten at the games I've gone to this year. Okay. Maybe not. <laughs> I'm right in the middle. Take it all back. I'm even Steven. Uh, yeah, it's possible. I, I don't know if that matters. Maybe it does, though. There's weird things. There's weird things going on in this world. There could be luck. And they one individual and... person could be that. Uh, they never see me. I'm rarely right, there before the games. But after the games, I'm usually hanging around. Okay. Uh, the Utah Jazz. Five and six on the season now. Yeah. Started three and oh. So they're two and six in their last eight games. Not a very good stretch. Well, so they started two and one, right? They lost that middle. Oh, game they did. You're right. They lost that middle game. Um, and so they're now six and two, or sorry, it's five and two at home, zero and three on the or zero and four on the road. Uh, they've struggled, uh, mightily, uh, recently to some yeah, good some teams, bad teams and bad teams. I I think there's some good teams that they've played. Tuesday was ugly. Against Tuesday, the, I think Tuesday. The Sixers without Joel Embiid may be the worst team they've played this year. Worse than Phoenix. Worse than Phoenix. Interesting. Because, I mean, Phoenix, uh, yes, their first three games were horrendous. But since then, they've been actually pretty good. I think they're they're 4-4 four and four in the, their last game since Earl Watson has been gone. Uh, and, you know, Jay Triano, for some reason, figured them figured out how to coach them so they would play defense. Sure. Um, with the Sixers, they've been a horrible team without Joel Embiid on the floor, minus 12 all year long, um, minus 12 points per 100 possessions. I should point that out. Sure. And then, uh, honestly, that they only won that game by seven points is a little bit, yeah. a little bit worrying for them. I mean, the Jazz shot 30% yeah. and played terrible defense right. all night long. And even then, they had to make shots late in the game to climb to 30%. Right. They were hovering 27 28% for a lot of the night. Yeah. And you're right. We're able to get back and have, what was it, a three-point game with... Six or seven yeah. seconds left at one point. I mean, it, yeah. it was six if, or ball. It wasn't really right. But if a miracle had happened, the Jazz really could have gotten themselves back into that game and yeah. were in that game late. So the, here's the schedule so far for the Utah Jazz and what they've done. Started out with a win over Denver, lost to Minnesota, beat Oklahoma City, and at that point, I think everyone is riding really high on this basketball mm-hmm. team because they're winning in a cool way. They're playing a ton of defense. They're shooting threes. They're beating teams with depth. It's a fun team to watch. Then they lose at the Clippers, and you say, okay, that's not a huge surprise. Clippers are okay this year, and you're playing at Los Angeles, where the Jazz have struggled, uh, sands the playoffs. They lose at Phoenix, and then you start to hit the worry button a little bit. They win three straight over Los Angeles, Dallas, and Portland. That was the overtime game where Portland was really an encouraging win, I thought, for the Jazz. 
that they found a way to battle Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum with Donovan Mitchell and Ricky Rubio, and you thought, man, if these guards click in for the Jazz, you know how good they are with their big guys, at least the depth they have with their big guys, they could be really good. And now three straight losses to Toronto, Houston, and Philadelphia, I think, again, has Jazz fans hitting the panic button. And again, Toronto and Houston, I don't think are bad losses. Toronto, I think the Jazz, you know, they didn't, I wouldn't say that they played really well, but their offense played better than it has nearly all season. Yeah, you're right. DeMar was great. Uh, Again, Houston, James Harden went off for 56. Like Quinn Snyder said, maybe you limit him to 42, but some of those shots were just really well defended. Now, I think the Jazz did a really bad job of defending kind of everybody else. They yep. allowed way too many, not way too many threes, but kind of way too many open threes, I'll put it that way. Uh, and, you know, the Rockets had like a, a you know, outlier shooting night, and that, that happens. Philly was really, really worrying to me. Philly was the worst watching the game again, video-wise, on both ends of the floor. Um, it's actually more defensively than than any game I've seen this season. And you put it out in your triple team, which you do every day after Jazz games. You also do your daily assist. The the Jazz Daily is what the I Jazz call Daily. It. I apologize. The Jazz Daily uh, that you do every day at KSL dot com as well. So make sure you keep an eye out for that. But I thought the triple team was great because uh, you do you go down and you show the video where the Jazz are are really really bad in transition, even after makes on yeah. offense. I mean, the Jazz are going back and just. Not finding J.J. Redick right. streaking down the floor for wide-open threes. It's, if you're not doing that, you're just simply not either looking at the playbook, you're not looking at the scouting report, you're, you're not paying attention to what your, what your job is. And I wonder how much of that is like them being weirded out that uh, Ben Simmons was playing point guard, right? Like going after the 6'10 guy, yep. and, and so that means that Rubio then does have to guard J.J. Uh, Redick, and you know you kind of make some weird adjustments after that. But... You know, you have Tabo guarding, you have Tabo guarding Ben Simmons, whatever. But they should be better at this. And and really, they have been better at this during Quinn Sanders' entire tenure, really, probably since the first half season he was in Utah. The Jazz have been a very good defensive communication focus and, and kind of toughness team. And to me, that's the stuff that they've missed out on over the last couple of games. Okay, yeah. I, I want to ask you this, and this is tough, and I'm not trying to diminish that. If the Jazz had beat... The 76ers. And the Jazz shot 30% on the night. You're right. The Jazz shot 9 of 39 from the three-point line for 23% and 30 of 99 from the floor. 30 of 99 from the floor. And a lot of them were were good looks. I mean, a lot of them, you're not going to shoot that poorly. How many times has the Jazz shot that poorly historically? Right. I mean, the last time was, I think, in 2004. So it, it just so rarely happens. Especially at home, it really rarely happens. If the Jazz hit five more shots in this game and go 35 of 99, which is still, what, 35%, you win this game. Mm -hmm. Are Jazz fans panicking? Because I do get a sense of panic, and I have it a little bit too. I'm starting to question what the future of this team looks like right now. Are Jazz fans panicking if right now they're sitting a game above 500 versus a game below 500, knowing that your losses are pretty excusable to Toronto and Houston? No. Right. So I think that's that's fair. I think Jazz fans are not panicking. I think... People who evaluate process over results are maybe panicking a little bit. Okay, right? like again, that was that was just a bad loss, and I think sure. if you win that game by five points, let's say that's still a bad performance. I think Quinn Snyder is really good at at kind of differentiating those and say, look, you know, we just didn't make the shots. We, you know, they their player went off. Whatever. Uh, I thought the Jazz's process again on Tuesday was was very was bad. And I think that's where 
it becomes fair to ask some of the questions, some of the medium to long term questions about the roster. Uh, here's my problem with this, and this is really big picture. And again, Jazz are one game under 500. Right, it's not bad. 11 games into the season, it's it's a hard time to hit the panic button. But you're right. I think if you know what you're looking at. There's enough there to say this is going to be really concerning and this could get really bad really quickly. Yeah. Uh, and I, I tweeted that out after the game. I said, you know, this is a part where I'm starting to feel like the Jazz have building blocks, which they have good pieces. Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell. There's probably a couple other guys you could say are really good pieces if you wanted to, and we should talk about that coming up here in a minute. But there's also enough of a flaw here, which is basically the Jazz only play one side of the floor. Mm-hmm. They're, they should be really good defensively. And when they are, the offense seems to follow a little bit. The hard part is on a night like this where the offense just isn't there and they obviously weren't great defensively either, though they only gave up 97, no, they only gave up what? 98 points per 100. 98 points per 100, so it's really good still. That's still a good uh, defensive rating. There are still enough issues there that I think you start to wonder, hey, is this a team that if they're not playing incredible defense every single night that they're going to lose a lot of games? And the hard part about trying to develop that image is the hard, the hard part of the game is getting guys convinced to play defense. And a lot of ways you convince guys to play defense is by having a fun offense or getting guys seeing baskets going in. And if this team can't make baskets, do they stop playing defense? And is that the reason why J.J. Redick is getting loose on these long possessions? Is that why they're forgetting guys in the corner when Ben Simmons has the ball and is one of the five guys who can really easily make that pass to the opposite corner? Yeah, no, it's, it's a fair question. And I think there there might be something to that. You know, the Jazz forced, I think it was 22 turnovers on Tuesday. And so that part of it was good. They it's the only reason they were in the game. That's Right, exactly. But then they weren't generating any offense off of that. And usually you say, okay, you force the turnovers, you you get transition baskets, and, and that's a fun style of basketball to play, right? They weren't having any fun with it on on, on Tuesday. And I think that's, uh, you know, some of that's because you would get the turnovers and then Ricky Rubio would throw the ball away or, you know, the mistake was made in transition and then those become even more frustrating. And then, you know, again, it, it's kind of personnel-based where, you know, Rodney Hood can't go to the go to the rim, and so it's harder to take advantage of those opportunities. Um, Ricky Rubio can't either. You know, so you you have you get the ball back, and you you have problems doing something with it. We'll take your calls if you want to call eight seven seven three five three zero seven hundred. Happy to take your tweets as well if you've got questions at Andy B Larson and at Ben's Hoops on Twitter. Andy, any questions? I have an early question. I don't have any questions yet on Twitter. No, okay, it's a little bit. It's a little bit out of left field, but I think we can start getting into this idea of of what roster makeup and what the Jazz need. Leighton Walton says Ben. I think he's going to include Andy on this as well. With how he has fit so far, is Jay Crowder becoming available? Jay Crowder was traded mm-hmm. to the Cleveland Cavaliers in the Kyrie Irving trade. What kind of offer could the Jazz put together if he were to be moved? Okay, I'm curious about the Cavaliers. I'm curious about how much they panic. I'm curious. Here's the thing. I suspect, and if I were a smart GM, which we're not sure, Kobe Altman is that the yeah, GM right Cody, now? Yeah, uh, Cody Altman. Okay. Uh, if they, I wouldn't make a move until I see Isaiah Thomas come back. I'm not agreed. I'm not going to make any moves until I realize what Isaiah Thomas can do. And here's the thing: Jay Crowder looked really good next to Isaiah Thomas. Jay Crowder did some really nice things next to that guy. How do the Cavs look once they get there? And are you going to say, man, in the playoffs when we're guarding? It's probably Jason Tatum now. Or Jalen Brown is probably the guy you're talking about having to guard. Or DeMar DeRozan. Man, it really would have been nice to have Jay Crowder instead of asking LeBron to do that. Right. So my suspicion is they wouldn't trade Jay Crowder this year. I do think the Cavs become an interesting team to make trades, though, if this thing looks really, really broken. 
and they feel like, hey, they either need to take one last shot or they need to start shedding salary when LeBron leaves and they just want to start over from zero. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think uh, for any of these kind of trades, I think 11 games is probably too soon. Like sure. really, do you remember Moneyball and Billy Bean? And, and one of the things he says in, in Moneyball is that he uses the first third of every season to evaluate what he has. Sure. The second third of every season to make those moves to fix the roster. And then the last third of the season, you can't do anything about You're kind of stuck with what you've done over the first couple thirds. So that's what, 26 games so, in the NBA? Right, in the NBA, you're, yeah, 25, 26 games. Okay. Um, that's kind of my time frame. You know, if you get to the end of December and, you know, at that point, the Jazz will have played some really bad opponents and also some really great opponents. Right. You figure out what your strengths and weaknesses are. It's it's kind of for that reason why I, I don't even know if if changing the starting lineup is is the right thing to do despite the Jazz's slow starts is because you know we only really do have eleven games of of evidence. Sure, and it's clear that some of the things the Jazz should be doing, or we thought they would be able to do, it hasn't quite worked out, and that's kind of the chemistry between Ricky Rubio and Rudy Gobert, which we thought would be pretty natural, and has think, seemed a little sketchy. And we think that might change, right? Like we have reason to Absolutely. believe that might change right. now. I, I think there are some things that we have reason, no reason to believe that they'll change. That so, Ricky Rubio's going to start shooting well. No right. reason to believe that's going to happen. Uh, exactly. Uh, Derek Favors' role in the offense. I don't really believe that that's going to change because, again, that's a process over results kind of thing. Rodney Hood um, becoming a number one Rodney scorer. Rodney Hood, exactly. Probably is who he is. Uh, and I liked you. You had a really good, I don't know if it was in uh, one of your daily articles or whether it was in a triple team. But it was talking about Rodney Hood, and I thought this was a great comparison, though I think a lot of people get caught up in the fact that this guy is a bit of a head case or is famous for not wearing a shirt. <laughs> you compared him to, to J.R. Smith. Yeah. I think that's a great comp. I mean, that's who he is. And it's crazy to think that, but remember when J.R. Smith started in the league, what, New Orleans he spent time with? Was he in Chicago at all? But it, either way, there was kind of this thought that, hey, this guy's a young star, and this guy's going to be a, a, a guy who has the ability to get his own shot yeah, yeah. and be a, a go-to scorer. And you saw him kind of devolve into a better role, actually, but but from a less complete player into being a more effective player and a more valuable player, which is just kind of a spot-up shooter. And right. that's kind of what he does now, and, and he's not the worst player when you have him on the floor. Rodney Hood could certainly find value as that if he can continue to hit threes at a high rate, which he needs to get back to. I mean, last year he took three-quarters of his shot attempts from beyond the three-point line. I mean, J.R. Smith? J.R. Smith yeah. did. That's, that's who he is. Rodney right. Hood's not that. I think that's what makes uh, – or uh, Rodney Hood isn't – doing that yet but i think that's what kind of makes it so frustrating when rodney hood does turn down those open threes is because he needs to be in jr smith territory where jr smith shot 12 threes in a quarter once you know right rodney hood has we have not seen that kind of shooting uh frequency from rodney hood from beyond the arc and again that if he he does get those looks he needs needs to take them now he also needs to take the looks when he's wide open underneath the basket and just needs to take a layup there um and some of that, I think, is his afraid of, of contact a little bit. Sure. And some of it is, honestly, all of those that I've seen so far that he, he does that on, he's moving to his right, and so he has to finish with his right hand, and he doesn't have that. So, Leighton, to get back to your answer or your question, yeah, sorry. Was- uh, what would the Jazz need to put together to get a guy like Jay Crowder? I think it's hard to say, and in fact, I think Jay Crowder might be a guy who comes available with somebody else. Yeah. I, I, I You know, if... From a theoretical point of view, who what's the better fit for the Cavs roster? You know, how do you sell this to the Cavs, Kobe Altman? Sure. Uh, what it is Kobe trying to right get, uh, trying to get Jay Crowder from them? Yeah. What are you trying to trade what, to them yeah, to sell what you, it? What do you exactly? What kind of piece do they need? They need something on defense, right? Well, right. Okay. So here's here's my first offer from dealing with the Cavs, and this has always been the rumor with the Jazz and the Cavaliers, and that's will you take Kevin Love for Derek Favors? 
Do you feel like if LeBron leaves next year, you want to start over and you don't want to still be paying Kevin Love because he's not that player? And they, they say no. They say no. Really okay. Easily. So you say, okay. Do you think, okay, what about Derek Favors for Jay Crowder? You know, how quickly right. do you lower and your Derek Favors? they say no because Jay Crowder is presumably a good player on a long deal compared to Derek Favors, who's a free agent in form. Can you take then salary back? And I'd have to look at what the Cavs' salary is. Right. Can you get, because Jay Crowder makes, what, $7 million a year? Yeah. Derek Favors is making, what, 14? Making 13. 13. Can you but, take yeah. $7 million over the next yeah. three years that they want to get rid of that they're locked into paying? And you say, okay, we'll take Jay Crowder and this bad contract that you don't want to have because you know you're going to lose LeBron next year. You're going to not pay Kyrie Irving, or I should say uh, uh, Isaiah Thomas in the offseason. And you're probably going to try and get another first-round pick that's in the lottery for Kevin Love. And then they've effectively rebuilt or, or started their rebuild in one right. offseason. And uh, by the way, Faves making $12 million a year. Uh I just think that you wait until the off season to make that move, right? Like you, you don't want to rebuild before LeBron leaves in, in my book, sure. just because then you don't want to be the guy who's looked at as pushing LeBron out the door. Unless now, you felt like for some reason Derek Favors would be a difference maker with what he does defensively, and he just can't show it because he's playing next to Rudy Gobert. Right, and again, just from a value point of view, I don't, I don't see that value around the league. I mean, it's really hard for teams to sell big men right now. Right. Which is why Udo was available for no money and is a pretty good player. Yeah. You know, why, why a lot of these big guys out there, Sands, uh, Joel Embiid, aren't getting paid and certainly right. aren't getting these huge contracts. Or you look at, yeah, Nerlens Noel or Ja Okafor. Yeah. Or, I mean, all these guys who there should be roles for in the NBA, except that the NBA has completely changed. And so there are, there are you know, probably 60 big men and 30 roles for him. So, um, now, Derek Favors, I think, is good enough to play those roles, but... You have to make that exact right opportunity fit. So, Leighton, to get back to your question, I don't know how valuable a pieces the Jazz have right now, and that's a really big problem because they kind of are they're they're a little bit asset depleted, and they're not going to trade either their two building blocks, and that's something I talked about earlier. And their two building blocks right now are Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, and now you've got to figure out what you're going to do to build around it. And I wouldn't say anyone else right now is a true building block that you're saying, "Hey, we're going to use this guy to build around." There are nice pieces out there, mm-hmm. but there's and, and there's pieces I think you would keep if you could keep Thabo Cephalosha in a Jazz uniform right. until he retires. I think you would take it. Yeah. He just he runs the system well. He does a lot of the things that you like. He's a good defensive player. He seems like a very smart guy. He seems like a calming influence. He's a good he's a good player you want to have around. That might be it. Yeah, Joe I, Ingles is fine. Joe it's kind Ingles, of expensive yeah. for a rebuilding team. Um, I you know uh, yeah Joe Ingles again for the system fit, but again yeah makes a lot of money. Heck, I would put Rodney Hood in there if it weren't for the like ego versus expectations kind of thing. Right. You know, like he, I think there is something with that team and and environment change that would allow him because really he's he's a fifth or sixth man, like I say, a, a shooter type that needs to be a role player. And he came into the season with the organization telling him he could be a right. number one scorer. Right. And you can't then pay that guy like a shooter, right. if that makes sense. And it's good the Jazz didn't pay him. Yeah. It's a good thing the Jazz didn't jump the gun and say, this has got to be our guy, and we're going to invest in him like he's the guy. Because right. he's not. He's just not going to be that player. Yeah. So that's too bad. It's too bad for the Jazz. They thought they'd gotten that. He benefited from playing off of Gordon Hayward. In fact, I think we can now recognize how well everyone benefited off of playing next to Gordon Hayward, including Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert's life was so much easier when he had a true three-point shooter and an isolation scorer, someone who was a threat everywhere he caught the ball, like Gordon Hayward, because when you don't have that guy on the floor, the entire defense collapses on Rudy Gobert every opportunity they get. And he struggled in that sense, rolling to the rim, especially when the ball handler can play off of of, uh, Ricky Rubio. And that's not even something you could have done off of George Hill last year, even when he only played 49 games. Right, exactly. I mean, we're kind of talking about what George Hill was then instead of, 
what George Hill is now, which he's done nothing in Sacramento. He's been bad. He's been, he's been really bad. I think that injury was bad. I think that toe injury that he had was enough. Career chronic kind of. Yeah, that, that changed the outlook of his career, which is unfortunate. Uh, and also why teams weren't willing to pay him money. Uh, and maybe the Jazz would have, and obviously the Jazz were trying to give him money in December or Again, before that, and he didn't want to take it. Yeah. And that's actually a good thing now for the Jazz. In, in retrospect, if this is the player he is, the Jazz got lucky that he didn't try and take that money. We do have a question from Giorgio Spinias asking, do you see favors coming from the bench? Uh, the problem is at that point, Derek favors revolts. He might check out. He, he would check. Out. I mean, I'm maybe I'm guessing about the guy, but like I, you know, I've talked to him. I, I kind of know yep. he thinks he's a starter. He thinks he's a power forward, you know, and he's pretty clear on, on these kind of things. Right. Um, and if you took everything away from him along with the, the touches that you've already taken away from him in the offense, I think at that point he, he pulls an Ennis, right? Like he demands a trade that game. And I think you still try and trade and maybe he's not quite an Ennis guy. He's a, he seems like a relatively low ego guy. Maybe he's yeah. more. Maybe he's bigger just because he's a qu- he's really quiet. I don't know if people haven't met Derek or don't listen to him. He's just he's super quiet. He's super reserved. He even talks low. Mm-hmm. He doesn't speak loudly when he does talk to you. That doesn't mean he doesn't have an ego, I guess. And I'm putting that on him. Uh, I still think the Jazz want to trade him. I don't think he's a malcontent like like right. Ennis. You know, like he, I don't think he's going to make trouble. Uh, trouble. I think he's going to lose himself in the context of the team. And, you know, honestly, you can argue that that's already happened because he's, you know, kind of a shadow of himself sure. of what he was two years ago. I still think the Jazz want to trade Derek Favors. Ideally, by the end of the season, the Jazz have gotten something of value and they've started to rebuild their asset uh, bank account, which they don't have right now. They're, they're, they're pretty depleted, as we said, asset-wise. And Derek Favors is a guy who probably doesn't figure in long-term. And that doesn't if you trade Favors, you're not giving up on the season at all. But right. you're trying to you're trying to get an asset back. So in this off season, when you're going to have to start making tough decisions, or not tough decisions, but franchise and foundation decisions of what you want this team to look like, having an extra asset like a late first round pick, if somehow you could get that for Derek Favors, which I'm not expecting, but maybe you could get it for he, Joe Johnson if he comes back and gets healthy. Maybe then uh, you start to rebuild your assets and and you've moved a player for the right reason. I've got a show a segment later in, on in the show about this, but I've been looking around the internet and people are are talking about Derek Favors trades. I've got some trade ideas I want to bounce off you because I think you're right. Given that Derek Favors is not going to re-sign with the Jazz next year, um, and I think unless something vast changes, that's going to be the case, then it's it's probably time to trade him for something valuable long-term because you're not a championship-contending franchise right now. All right, so when we come back, I do want to talk uh, more about some of the issues we're seeing with this team right now. We touched on it a little bit. Why is Ricky Rubio playing so poorly? Can the Jazz fix that? And, of course, we have to address Donovan Mitchell because he's the one that everyone wants to talk about and I think deservedly everyone should talk about. So I want to talk a lot Donov- uh, of Donovan Mitchell coming up in the next segment. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. This is the Salt City Hoof Show on ESPN 700. The home of the best Utah Jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. He's Andy Larson. Find him on Twitter at Andy B. Larson. If you have questions, tweet at him. You can also tweet at me at Ben's Hoops. Uh, hey, we've got a couple of questions coming in. Yeah. Do you want to address the questions first? Yeah, let's do it. Um, Adam Mason asks, just tuning in, can you please tell Ricky Rubio to stop the man bun? The numbers don't lie, right? I started it's the... Uh, you 
uh, had the, the stats the other night. Yeah. He's, of how bad he is with the man bun. So first two preseason games and then last night were the, or I guess Tuesday night were the man bun. He is now four for 24. Which is horrendous. In the field. It's as bad as it gets. Yeah. You can't be in the NBA it's, if you shoot that poorly. Percent. That's not great. Uh, and then I started the ban the bun movement. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's under 20%. Right? Is it yeah, tw- I completely did the math wrong and it's 17%. But yeah. anyway. It's bad. It's really bad. Uh, so ban the bun. That's my new thing. Ban the bun. Don't, don't let him do it. In fact, just cut his hair. Yeah. He I, can keep that big grizzly Adam's beard if he wants to, but like he should go with the, like the, the tight shaved head, like the small shaved head. Still the best scoring year of his career. Uh, yeah. And he leads the Utah Jazz in scoring Woo-hoo. still, which is insane at 15.8 points per game on a 45% effective field goal percentage. 39% from the floor, 29% from three. Do you if think that guy's lasts? your leading scorer? You're in real, real trouble. Yeah, I don't think that lasts. I think by the end of the year, Donovan's leading score. Or Rodney. I think Donovan Mitchell is, which is which is that's also, also another major problem. We'll talk about that. But at least that's a, that's, that's a good kind a of good major problem. problem, I guess. Right? Like Because, again, this season, you knew you weren't going to win the championship. Fine. This season was about like developing Donovan Mitchell and seeing what you had with the other guys. Right? So if he's shooting a lot of shots and making a lot of points, even if it's at thirty-eight percent, you know, you probably he probably learned something through the process. I'm fine with. Let's it. talk about him in just a minute. Yes, Clark Schmutz. Yes, on Twitter. Uh, I used to do a radio show with Clark, so or I guess a podcast. But anyway. yo, Clark, uh, how do you think it would affect Hood to be brought off the bench, and could Quinn stel- sell starting Tabo? Better than starting Donovan. You don't need to sell starting either of those guys. No, I think who's exactly. earned the starting job? Either nobody. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, Rodney Hood hasn't earned the starting job either. Right. You shouldn't have to sell starting to anyone other than Rudy Gobert. The only guy you have to sell not starting to, and as we talked about last segment, is Derek Favors because he's the most tenured player on this team. Mm. It's a contract year. He's been a good leader off the floor as far as kind of staying quiet. He doesn't seem like he's trying to rile anybody up or something. You say, don't think that's true about Rodney Hood? Oh, I think Rodney Hood's fine contract too. Contract year, you know, sure. Well liked, doesn't you know, doesn't rile anyone up. Same thing. Sure, you're probably right there. Uh, but but I think favors might be a little bit more temperamental because you have played with him a little bit because of where he was drafted, actually more so than Rodney Hood, even. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which maybe is a politic that I think of that Dennis Lindsay or Quinn Snyder absolutely don't. And I have to assume might my something... thoughts don't at all mirror what those guys think when you see it behind the scenes and you know those guys so personally and how that type of thing works and dealing with agents. It's just so different than what my knowledge base is. It might is. be something that the player and agent think about, though. Sure. Is um, how, you know, what this guy's role was expected to be for their, their for their life, you know? I, I think people expected Derek Favors to be an all-star, right? That's yep. what you expect with the number three pick. Yep. Number 20 pick, maybe not so much. Uh, um, but, so in that sense, I, look, I would... Absolutely. I would be fine starting both Donovan Mitchell and Tavo Cephalosha yeah. in favor of Rodney Hood and Derek Favors. Yeah, I mean, I, I would too, except then you you almost have to trade those guys. I, I think you have to trade Derek at that point because, again, I really do think if you ask him to come off the bench, that's the minute that he opts out. That's the minute he goes to us and says, look, I'd like to publicly demand a trade. Huh. I mean, he, he's at that point. He start, I mean, after the game on Tuesday, he looked at the ceiling for 30 straight minutes. Oh, really? While, huh. uh, in the in the locker room, oh. just clearly frustrated in his uniform. Like, really? I mean, it's he's, it's he's already there. It's already it's getting. Bad. We're already at that. Right. Point. We're at game eleven, okay. and he's staring at the ceiling. Right? Oh, uh, I mean, the, and I'm sure the Jazz are aware of that. And I'm yeah. sure his agent has made the Jazz very aware of that. That they want to figure out how to use him or figure out how to move him. Right. And, and that, I'm sure the Jazz want to figure out how to move him too, if that's the case. I'm sure. Yeah. And, and I'm you know I, I'm sure that if. Some things had worked out differently this summer, or they got a good offer. He would already have been gone. You know, again, it becomes really a marketplace thing. Where is there a team interested that that Derek's a, a good fit on? 
the injury hurt things a lot with this, by yeah. the way. Like, if, if Derek is healthy last year, then there are a lot more teams interested in him and all that kind of stuff. Uh, as it is, they didn't want to trade for someone who couldn't move. Now, Derek's moving a lot better this year. He's jumping better. Jumping yeah. better. You know, I, I think the shot's there in, in kind of some promising ways. But I, clearly, I think it's fair to say that he's not a fit with Rudy Gobert, um, so long as you've got Ricky Rubio in the lineup. And if the Jazz wanted to make him a better fit, they would have. If the Jazz were more invested in him being a long-term piece, mm-hmm. they would find a way to do it, and they would have robbed Rudy Gobert to to pay That's Derek Favors, point. and they're not doing it. Right. So understand what that means about Favors' future. Um, Which will be too bad. It's too bad yeah. that the Derek Favors thing didn't end up working out. We, yeah. It didn't end up cursing the Jazz as bad as it potentially could have because you traded your franchise piece essentially to get him. You just very luckily had already drafted Gordon Hayward, and he turned into that bridge player to get you to your next player to get you to your next player, which is just how, how the league works. And right. you're lucky if you can find that guy. The good news for the Jazz is they already have that guy. Rudy Gobert is going to be the guy after Gordon, and even maybe more so, Donovan Mitchell might be that guy. Yeah. So let's talk about Donovan Mitchell, okay. which is everyone wants to do. Concern at all about the three for 21 shooting? No, and I thought what Dan Clayton did on Twitter last night, if you haven't checked it out, do, um, was really kind of smart. Was Dan to Clayton go with a zero. Yeah. If you don't just on search Twitter. Dan Clayton. Right. Yeah. Uh, if you go through all 21 of his shots, 17 to 18 of them were good. Some of, they were within the offense, kind of the, the kind of catch and shoot stuff or pulling up on a pick and roll. Going to the rim and trying to attack and get fouled. The, the kind of good things that you want to see from jazz guards in, in this wing, uh, in this offense. I mean, uh, so given that, I'm fine with it. You know, he should be a better shooter. Sure. At some point, maybe that'll happen. At some point, I think he'll learn how to get fouled more frequently, how to kind of maneuver his way into the paint in, in a more consistent way. And honestly, then how to get his teammates more involved. But, I, you know, again, given what's at stake for this Jazz roster, I don't mind him taking that many shots if that many of them are good. What was Kobe's famous? And I'm, I understand. I'm not trying to compare Donovan Mitchell to, to Kobe Bryant. Kobe's famous line was, "I would never finish 0 for 10 in a game because I would finish 0 for 20." Right. It wasn't that. It's something like that. Something along those lines. At that sentiment, I'm not going to stop shooting at 10 shots if I'm not shooting well because I expect my next shot to go in, and I'm just going to keep shooting. I don't mind that Donovan Mitchell believes he's as good as that. Mm-hmm. I don't mind that he thinks I might as well be the leading scorer on this team because no one else is. Yeah. And I don't get, I don't think it's a, it's not an aggressive, angry feeling that he's doing this. He's not trying to do it because he's saying, ah, I don't trust Rodney Hood with the ball or I don't trust any of these other no. guys with the ball. Right. He just legitimately thinks his shot he's going to get is as good as any shot the Jazz are going to get. And he's probably, he's probably not right. wrong as soon as you're talking about a guy who has to dribble the ball more than one time to get a shot. Yeah. If anyone else is dribbling the ball once or twice, the Jazz are going to get a really bad shot. <laughs> Pretty traditionally outside of Joe Johnson or Rodney Hood when he has his mid-range game going. Otherwise, the Jazz need to be passing the ball. There's just no one else who can score in isolation. Donovan Mitchell is one of the few guys who looks like he's going to be able to make a shot for himself all over the floor. Yeah, completely agreed. And so, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with it. Um, you start to wonder, you know, again, do you put Donovan in the starting lineup maybe? Uh, and I think given how that went pretty badly in the third quarter of of the yep. Philadelphia game. So maybe that's not the answer. But uh, And, you know, clearly he's got a lot of stuff to iron out in terms of offense, in terms of finding teammates and that sort of stuff. I'm, you know, he's going to work on that. Given that the, the attitude that he's shown about that, working on defense and everything else, I think it's fine given the number of, that he's taking that many shots. Given that, you know, if someone else had been scoring really well on Tuesday, maybe right. you've got a problem with it. No one was, right? 
Every single one of the Jazz's guards was was bad. Uh, so Donovan Mitchell, in the month of November now, through four games, even understanding, he had a game where he scored eight points on three of 21 shooting. He's still averaging 19.5 points a game, four rebounds, and two assists. Now he's shooting just 36% from the floor, but he's shooting 34% from the three-point line. Yeah, if I you mean, had told me he was going to be a over 30% three-point shooter in his rookie year, I would have said that's probably good enough for the Jazz enough. right now yep. because that's something to build on. Yeah, agreed. Like, no one is a good three-point shooter in their rookie year. Right. No one's a good field goal shooter in their rookie year. Guys figure this out. And, again, Donovan didn't have good field goal numbers in college. So right. it was it was crazy of you to think that, you know, not you, but of uh, anyone. Who to jump that in and assume he was going to be a shooter. efficient offensive player right away. Uh, I think you're encouraged by how he's inefficient. You know, someone actually linked to, and I can't remember where I saw this, but someone linked to Dwayne Wade's first 30 games or whatever. Right. And they're similarly bad. They're similarly ugly, and, and the Heat were a worse team than even. So I think you, uh, you know, I, I'm not saying Donovan's going to be Dwayne Wade, no. although people have made that comparison. Uh, also Alec Burks. People also Alec made that Burks comparison with Alec Burks no, and Dwayne Wade. Um, I think Donovan, you know, you, you give him time to see what he can do. Uh, okay, so this was a popular thing after the Jazz drafted Donovan Mitchell. And then again, after Summer League, when he played so well, and now 10 games, 11 games of the season, Tony Jones has talked about it a lot, people trying to make their comparisons for Donovan Mitchell. Do you have anything that jumps out to you that makes sense? I mean, honestly, the one that makes sense is the one that he was getting even before the draft, and that's Victor Oladipo. Hmm. Now, understand Oladipo's been really good this year. Yeah. Really, really good with the Pacers, even though they're not a great team. If he plays like this, he's going to be an all-star this season, which would be amazing, the measurements, the size, the way he struggled to shoot the ball early on in his career, the the idea that he's going to be a really good defensive player, it's not crazy, but I honestly think that could be his basement is what Victor Oladipo was over the first four seasons of his yeah, career. So I think that's that's reasonable. What's what's his ceiling then? It's a lot higher. His his ceiling is a lot higher because Victor Oladipo is not a, a an isolation scorer. Right. He's not a guy that you said, I need you to take over a quarter offensively and do it. And, and Donovan, Donovan Mitchell's done, done what, four quarters already this year? Yeah, I don't know about quarters, but at least four-minute stretches. Yeah, uh, it's just his stints on the floor. He's yeah. taken over entire stretches, including uh, early uh, in overtime against the Blazers and late against the Blazers, though Ricky Rubio was fantastic there, too. Mm. Uh, he had the game where he was really good in the third quarter against the, Cl- the Clippers. The Lakers stint? I mean, the, right. the dunk plus the three-pointer, right. and then I believe it was a two after on that possession. Right. I drew, think a, he drew an like offensive foul on the next stretch. I mean, yeah, he... Like, He's had some really, really amazingly good stints that, that I don't know. And, and again, I would be lying if I told you I religiously studied the work of Victor Oladipo while he was in Orlando or even last year in Oklahoma City. But I, I don't remember stretches like that from, from Oladipo. Right. I, I, you know, I think he was a pretty typical medium efficient pick and roll kind of guy who showed athleticism at times, but maybe not as much as Donovan's shown. Um, you know, I, I've, See that Eric Gordon in his early career uh, comp that I, I've heard a couple of times. Um, I, I don't hate that. Eric Gordon's now a very different player than he was. Sure. Than, than Coming out of Indiana, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was thought to be a guy who would put the ball on the floor and get to the rim and also be able to shoot the ball, and now he's pretty strictly a shooter. Yeah. He can he can mix it up a little bit with the pump fake, but he's pretty strictly a shooter now. And then, I mean, that's, that's why I think it's – I don't think it's funny, but I, when people ask if – his teammates are going to be upset when Donovan Mitchell gets the playing time and misses all the shots and, and all of that. NBA players respect talent, right? I think they get frustrated when it's when it's stupid talent with a lot of mistakes and all that. You you know, I think you 
You've seen teammates get frustrated with Alec Burks and Enes Kanter, for example. Right. Uh, They're not that way with Donovan Mitchell because they see that he has talent, because he's so young, and because he's willing to learn from those guys. So if you let me cherry-pick some stats really quick. We'll say his first five games of the season, when he was really trying to get his feet underneath him, he had three one-for-seven outings. So again, I'm cherry-picking here. He averaged seven points a game. He shot 25% from the floor and 16% from three. He was horrible his first five games of the season. His last six games of the season so far, he is averaging... 18 points a game, he's shooting 39% from the floor and 37% from three. That's not efficient still. I mean, it's good. It's very good. If he's shooting 37% from three, he's very good. And if he could bump that up two percentage points, three percentage points, and get up over 40% from the floor, uh, he's really, really a fascinating player and and is really good. And he is good. I think he is really good. Uh, And I'm impressed with how quickly he learned from how bad he was to start the year to where he's uh, gotten to now. I'm impressed. I'm impressed at how easy it is for him to get off a shot right now that that is good. All right. We're going to, when we come back, we're going to look at some stats out of China that are going to blow your mind. This is just kind of a fun way to look at how different the NBA is from other leagues around the world. It's the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Andy Larson, that's him. I'm Ben Anderson. You can find Andy on Twitter at Andy B. Larson. You can tweet at me at Ben's Hoops. And we have a great question that is going to segue into our segment. Take it away, Andy. Oh, we do. Uh, okay, serious question. Is there a good reason the Jazz shouldn't go after Jimmer Fredette to be the backup point guard? He's great pick and roll. His shooting numbers are above 30%. He's a good passer. He loves Utah, and we could probably get him for cheap. Yes, you could. Sorry uh, if you could ask that a lot. Jen, that was from, from Jen, Jen Morrill. Morrill. Yeah, who uh, I shout like out to Jen on Twitter. But she's wrong. Uh, well, here, my first problem is he's not good in the pick and roll no, on either not. side of the ball because uh, he's he's not quick enough to do anything on the pick he's and roll in the NBA. Uh, and then he's the worst defender in the NBA the day he steps in. And I mean that. He's the worst yeah, he would be. wing defender in the NBA. Jen, I'm not trying to hammer you here. We're not just trying to, to pile on here. He He's really good when he gets a great screen, and in college, for some reason, a guy wouldn't read a scouting report that they're playing against the best shooter in college and would go under. Mm-hmm. Or when whoever his big man was at the time, Brandon, Brandon Davies, yeah. would set a good pick, and he could get a foot of space from how, how, how far is the college? Three? 24 feet? Right. 22 right. feet? Whatever it is. Okay, yeah, he's insane at that point. The NBA is just not like that at all, and everyone can go over on every single screen. The defense is so good. You can go over on every screen or trap him, and he's so small he has no idea what to do. The other thing I heard from people who coached him in San Antonio, and you know the Jazz Org has some ties to San Antonio, so I've you know, given you an idea of, of how I heard this, but apparently he wanted to play the way he did at BYU at the NBA level. Right. He and wanted to be Steph. Right. And he's not that good, right? He's just He can't be that guy. And so what he's figured out is if you go to China, he can be that guy still. Right. Right. He can be that guy against lesser competition. He so, can't be that way against good competition, and I don't know if he's good enough in the other things you need him to be. There's just there's no such thing as just a good three-point shooter anymore. No. That used to exist five years ago, ten years ago. Eddie House used to be in the NBA. Right. Salim Stoudemire was a guy you drafted in the first round because you thought he could be that guy. You, you have to be multi-skilled now. Mm-hmm. Steve Novak can't play in the NBA. No. And he's even 6'11 can shoot the ball. And guys like Kyle Korver figured out how to add things to their game. 
I mean, weird Kyle things. Kyle Korver is an average defender now, and I mean that as a He was always compliment. a good team defender, meaning he was always good off the ball. He was always in the right spot where he wasn't giving up this crazy passing lane or getting backdoored repeatedly. Yeah. He's a weirdly good shot blocker. Not that he ever averaged good shot blocking numbers, but if you beat him at the rim, he was a weirdly good shot blocker. A stupid skill he always had, which is a really important skill if you're a three-point shooter, when the NBA used to need this because guys used to post up. He could throw entry passes. Yeah. He was a really good entry passer, which again, it's not a skill today. But in the past, when you had to be able to get the ball into Carlos Boozer with his back to the basket and you had to know where to put it, he could do that. Jimmer can't do those things. He's like a quarterback who can't see over the offensive line. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, it's unfortunate. And I'm not a Jimmer hater. Like, I know guys who know Jimmer and that's not patting myself on the back, but from, <laughs> like yeah. I said, talking to them, Jimmer's like a really good guy. Jimmer's, yeah. he's not like some jerk. I'm not, he's not someone I'm trying to hammer on. He just simply can't do it in the NBA. And that actually is not that uncommon for really high scores at the college level, especially when they come from mid-majors like BYU. Let's talk about these other Chinese Basketball Association guys because it's it's incredible. Um, you may remember Jared Solinger, Trey Burke's best friend. He is he is Wilt in the CBA. Former He's lottery pick. 40 points per game, 40.2 yep. points per game. Which is good. 17 rebounds a game, Yeah, uh, three assists, and two and a half blocks. Two and a half blocks. I mean, that's that's... Phenomenal. 54% from the floor, 43% from the three-point line. He's better than Wilt. Yeah. He can step out and hit the three now. <laughs> Brandon Jennings, 31 points a game. Yeah. J.J. Hickson, 29 points a game. Marshawn Brooks. Scola, 27. Marshawn Brooks, 38 points 38 a game. 38 points a game. It's insane the numbers these guys put up. Uh, by the way, Jimmer is third in the league in scoring at 38 points a game as well. Right, uh, so, yeah. Sorry, I was going to say something like he's not even the best Chinese league scorer. Cause he's not. He's not. Uh, but there are a lot of names playing right now in the CBA, the Chinese Basketball Association. Terrence Jones, remember talking about him as yeah. a possible trade target for the Jazz, 25 points a game. Carl Landry, 21. Uh, you mentioned J.J. Hickson, Sonny Weems, a former NBA player. Luis Scola still playing in the CBA. He's, he's averaging 27 points a game. Demo. Uh, there's a Pooh Jeter who uh, spent a little bit of time in the NBA. Slavic Randolph. I can't believe he's still <laughs> out there and playing. Uh, Ty Lawson, Brandon Bass, a lot of guys like that. But you're starting to notice kind of a trend here. Stephon Marbury already still yeah. going, scoring 17 points a game. And already has a statue. Uh, looking at the, uh, the, the, these Chinese players. Uh, looking at these Chinese players and looking at the CBA, I'm noticing two things. Small guys who can score can play. Get out there, yeah. Jimmer. Uh, Marshawn Brooks, Ty Lawson. These guys aren't big enough for the NBA. Brandon Jennings. Mm -hmm. They can get out there. They can really score. And undersized guys who like mid-range jump shots. I like Jared Solinger, like Brandon Bass. I mean, those guys were twins. Weren't they in Boston together for a stretch? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the, and that's that's their game. My my third thing here is uh, none of these guys play any defense whatsoever. Right? Like, Jimmer's not a defensive guy. Marshawn Brooks isn't a defender. Jared Solinger is, again, undersized. J.J. Hickson... Shot blocked, but he couldn't, you know, defend it all. I don't know. All right. We actually have a call. We're going to squeak it in here before the break. we got a break here soon. Maybe we'll start our next segment with it, but we'll, let's go out to line one with Jay. Jay, what's going on? Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. How are you? I, uh, I'm, I'm doing well. I called. Um, I actually watched all these games. Well, that's a plus. The CBA. All right. So tell us about it. Um, Andy, you should. I, uh, I know you. I uh, worked for the Desert News for a little while and no longer do. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Um, so Jimmer, yeah, Jimmer's a perfect fit there. Ty Lawson's a perfect fit. Um, it's a wide open game where you've got two really good guys on the floor for their level for two quarters out of four. And the rules are different. So then there's only one, 
one NBA guy, basically one ex-NBA guy on the floor in the fourth, because that's how the rules work. Huh. And you get to shoot whenever you want, and you get to control the ball, and you basically you, you run the team. And the level between most of the Chinese players and most of the ex-NBA players is night and day. I mean, there's a good maybe one or two good Chinese players on each team, and everybody else is just really subpar if you compare them to the NBA level. So these NBA guys just dominate. Terrence Jones, Monty Yunus, Jared Sollinger, Jimmer. Um, the one thing I did want to say about Jimmer in the NBA is when he, when he was given an opportunity, he, uh, he scored at least nine points in the last four seasons. He was in the NBA every game he played over 20 minutes. So he could score a little bit. He just couldn't defend, and he couldn't be uh, he couldn't be what he wanted to be, and he never really fit on a roster. But he could score a little bit when he was given the opportunity. Thanks for the call, Jay. Uh, we got to take a break here. Uh, let's address that a little. I don't want to waste too much time on Jimmer, yeah. but we can talk a little bit about why Jimmer because people clearly are still questioning it. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. This is the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Back to the analytics, opinions, and best breakdown of the Utah Jazz and the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. It is 8.02. He's Andy Larson, managing editor of Salt City Hoops, the true hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. He's also the beat writer for the Utah Jazz at KSL.com. Find him on Twitter at Andy B. Larson, which is where you can tweet us if you have questions you want to ask uh, and have us answer in the next hour. You can also tweet at me, Ben Anderson at Ben's Hoops on Twitter. We had another uh, tweet come in, Andy. Yeah, from Clark again. Would you trade Alec Burks and Jonas Drebko for Wesley Matthews after December 15th, yes. which is when you're allowed to? Wesley Matthews is not good anymore. He's on a max contract, too, which is scary. Yeah, so I, I, I guess the truth is you get out of Drebko after the season if he's not any good, and Alec Burks is two seasons away. Right, so you're, you're probably spending... The, the end result is spending $3 million more this year and probably $6 million more next year. Um, Wesley Matthews, let me tell you, is on-court, off-court for this season so okay. far because it's, it's ugly. He is... Minus 19.9 points per 100 possessions when he's on the court. And the Mavs are plus 15 when he's off of it. Hmm. So he never came back from that Achilles. Yeah, he's actually kind of shooting the ball okay this year. Um, But yeah, uh, to me anyway, it's pretty clear that he never came back from the Achilles as the same player. He's got a 10 PER. Um, And is now 31. Yeah. So, you know, to me, I don't think that makes sense short term. I don't think that makes sense long term. I get that it gets Alec Burks off your con- off your off your salary books, and that's good. I think Wesley Matthews maybe more. He's not more of a liability than Alec Burks. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. but like he's shooting forty four percent. It just doesn't make any. I, to me, that doesn't make any sense. I like okay. I like that idea and where it's going. I don't. I I think Wesley's probably more harmful to your cap situation next year. Uh, one last question to address Jay on the other side. Oh, uh, yeah. Back who was asking about Jimmer and said when Jimmer played over twenty minutes a game, he scored nine points. It just that doesn't matter. Every player can score. Every single player in the NBA can score. And I know that hey, you look at Epe Udo, he can't score. I mean, if you're in the NBA and you're under six foot nine, you're a very good scorer and were a great scorer at one point in your life, whether it was college, wherever it was. And there's just nobody out there who is not a great scorer. And given 20 minutes a game, everyone in the NBA can score nine points. And they think, also do everything else better. Yeah, I mean, there's a difference between Jimmer level scoring and kind of what Jimmer scoring in college and what everybody else did. But even then, it's... It's clearly not enough, and and right. you know Jay was right. It's a perfect league for it. Uh, but yeah, you know Morris Almond. There are right. 
leading scores that come out of you know a Houston school every year. It feels like they always have these weird 24, 25 point per game scores, and they just never make the NBA. They never stick around. Yep. It's so rare that those guys end up making it. Salim Stoudemire, who I mentioned earlier, was exactly that same guy. Uh, just never could hang around the NBA because he didn't do enough well. All right, let's talk a, a little bit about the Utah Jazz. You want to talk about some of the Derek Favors trade ideas? Do you want to yeah. get to that? Yeah, let's pull that up. People um, love trade ideas, and we're, okay. First of all, let, let's talk about this. Where are you with this Jazz team before we start getting into trades? How do you feel about this team? If you had to make a kind of a hot take, big statement about it, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I would say that there are more issues early on than I thought there would be. You know, some, I think some of the leaps that we expected didn't come. I think I think Rodney Hood is is exactly the same player that he was. Uh, I think this Ricky Rubio, Rudy Gobert pick and roll is not working anywhere near as, as we thought it would, and we kind of thought it would work right away. Um, and, you know, obviously injuries to Dante Exum and Joe Johnson have hurt from from that point of view. Uh, but other than that, I don't know. You've got some positives, too. I think Udo is one of those positives. I think Donovan Mitchell is one of those positives, despite the shooting percentages. Um and I don't know that five and six is very far off of what you thought that the team would be. Again, the the Vegas plus minus was thirty nine wins. Heck, that's two games below five hundred right now. They're one game below five hundred with a pretty easy schedule coming up in the next couple of weeks. So um, I think we'll learn a lot over the next ten games. But it probably it's never as bad as it seems over you know after a three game losing streak, and it's probably not as good as it se- seemed after the three game winning streak. Uh, I'm curious about. How quickly do the Jazz decide where they want to be in the lottery if that happens? And what happens to get them there? And I tweeted this out, again, at Ben's Hoops, follow Andy at Andy B. Larson. Here's my take on the Jazz. I wondered if they had a foundation before the season. Did Ricky Rubio plus Donovan Mitchell plus Rodney Hood plus Rudy Gobert mean you had four guys that you were comfortable building around? Mm -hmm. And you felt, look, if you get the right pieces around those guys— you're not going to win a championship, but you can compete the same way the Jazz competed last year, which means you can win a first-round series, and then you hope to get to the second round and see what happens from there. You matched up and you with hope the Warriors. to build from it. I don't think they have that. Mm-hmm. I don't think you have enough right now to build off of by just adding a couple of pieces. In fact, I think you're a, a major piece away still. Yeah. A major, major piece. I, clearly. Uh, and, and that's including Donovan Mitchell, assuming that Mitchell becomes a, a, a great piece. Yeah. I think he's going to be a very good high-level piece. Rudy Gobert is already a good level, high-level piece. I think you need another guy of that caliber or close to that caliber. That's when you have your foundation, and then you know how to build from there. And I don't even think the Jazz have that right now. And I think Dennis Lindsay would agree with you. And I think that's when you look at trading someone like Derek Favors for a long-term asset. Right. Because in the you know short term, sure he's worth something, but because you are so far away from that uh, contention, whatever sure. that looks like, Derek Favors isn't going to be a part of the next good jazz team, uh, and neither will Joe Johnson. And do you start right. getting into the Joe Johnson conversation? And then how far down to that list do you go to where you stop? At what point do you stop saying, "Yeah, that guy's definitely tradable"? The only two guys I think for sure aren't are again Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. I don't think anyone's going to take on Joe. Ingles, $13 million deal. No, and he's you know a good fit and a culture guy and all that kind of stuff. He's not like someone it. you're actively trying to trade yeah. unless a good deal. You're not, you're not going to trade him for Luol Deng for no reason just because the, the Lakers want to move him. Right? Uh, can you get a first-round draft pick from the Lakers and take on Luol Deng? Maybe that's something the Jazz start looking at when they start yeah. looking at some assets stuff. Uh, and I still, you know, I would do it for Joe Ingles most likely. But in all honesty, you're saying, hey, you guys want an expiring deal, so that's when we're going to talk Jarebko. That's when we're going to talk Alec Burks. That's where mm-hmm. you're going to talk about... Not Udo, but maybe Cephalosha maybe if you Udo. had maybe to. Cef- yeah. 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 Um, so, so that's where I think the Jazz start to get a little interesting here. Uh, that's where I think they are. 
and, and again, you see the Joe Johnson injury has really weighed on the Jazz already. I think, I think Dante Exum's actually weighing that injury's weighing on the Jazz right now. If you lose anybody, and again, this might be, sound like a broken record if you follow me on Twitter, but if you lose any of your starting five, or Cephalosha, or Udo, or Donovan Mitchell, obviously, who's basically a starter now, this team might get really, really bad really, 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 really quickly. Hmm. And if that's the case, do they say by mid-December? See, and I, s- I still don't think they're really, really bad enough. Huh. Like, okay. I, you know, I, I don't see any way that they get a top eight pick. You don't think they could get down to being that bad? No. I think I mean if if Gobert or Mitchell goes down for an extended sure. period okay. and it's not crazy with it's not crazy with Gobert because big guys get hurt and he's mm-hmm. actually gotten hurt in the past. Yeah. That would stun me. If that were to happen I th- I could see the Jazz saying let's figure out how to get down to an 8 9 or or better in the lottery. And I actually don't think that's a terribly difficult thing to do with this team. Barring that though. Then I I don't see how you do it. Okay. Uh, basically barring a season long injury to Rudy Gobert, I don't see how you do it. I, I here's the thing. I think if you lose twenty games from Rudy Gobert from December to what what would that be? January, mid January, you might just decide that you're going to fix the season to be that way. Mm. You're going to change the season to be that way because you're not going to make the playoffs at that Maybe. point. Maybe. Uh, and that's just my thought. That, but, that's where I think the Jazz could go, and that's how you that's how you rebuild teams, and that's what the Jazz are probably going to have to do. And we've heard people close to the Jazz, and the Jazz say their best way to rebuild is through the draft. And they know where they have to pick to get good lottery picks. Yeah. You know, where to get good players. Yeah, I, I I think this conversation is super premature given where the team right. is now and given again that I think they're they're not bad enough to tank unless a lot of bad things happen. Sure. Um but that doesn't mean you can't renegotiate you know, you can you can figure out things on the edges, which is again where we look at trading Derek Favors. Okay, so you you were talking about trade ideas with yeah. Derek Favors. We talk about the Utah Jazz and the NBA, and we're going to get in the NBA uh, kind of big picture stuff a little bit more coming up in the next segment. We'll talk some rookies. Stay tuned for that. But let's talk Derek Favors trade ideas. Are these collections you found online, or are yes. these your ideas? These are these are collections I found online, and usually are from these are these are basically offers from fans of those teams online. Okay, so uh, Alex Abrines, Kyle Singler, and a second round pick for Derek Favors. Okay. What do you? I mean, give me your thoughts. I, honestly, I need to look into these guys a little bit. Right, Kyle Singler has been really bad at times. Yes, uh, he's he's kind of proven to be a non-player. Okay. Yeah, agreed. He's maybe a rotation guy. So you're you're doing it for Alex Sabrinas? Probably, yeah. And here's the thing: I just who's in my mind is pretty Marco Bellinelli. Right. I just. And the hard part of me, I just don't think, I think you get a better deal than that. So let okay. me say that. Let's I'm going to say no because I think you can get a better deal than that. Not because I think you're going to keep favors long term because at some point favors value to you becomes zero because he's not going to be on your team yep. next year. That's, so at some point you have to get something from him. And if you are a team that is going to trade for him, it only makes sense for you to do that. And if you think that he's going to make your team better now, you know, you've got a very win now window. Right. Or you think that you're going to be able to resign him in the offseason with whatever bird rights or, uh, you know, whatever whatever that looks like, so, whatever ability you have to do that. Alex Abrinas this year um, for OKC is averaging 3.8 points a game, shooting 30% from the three-point line and 35% from the floor. Yeah. So I maybe mean, you are doing that trade for Kyle Singler. Right. <laughs> conceptually, Alec, Alex Abrinas is a good shooter. Um, Europe, uh, it would be, a, you know, it's someone that the Jazz liked, um, right. wanted in the Ennis Cantor deal, honestly, right. and then got uh, Tibor Place, but... Um, you know, maybe you can develop a little bit. What is he? Twenty four years old. Still young. Twenty four. Okay. Um, hundred days. Okay. On the dot. 
Patty, thank you. Thank you for that exact. Yeah, yeah I appreciate so you know. that. Patty Mills straight up for Derek Favors. From Spurs. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Do you play Patty Mills at the one or the two? He's that, again, to go back to a term that no one uses anymore. He's just a zero guard. He's just a guard that you go out there and you say, shoot the ball. Okay. <laughs> and I'll play you next to whoever I have to play you next to. I'll play you next to Donovan Mitchell. I'll play you next to Ricky Rubio. If there's late games where I think you're hot and I'm going to run you off screens, and he's a guy you can run off screens to hit threes, which not everyone can run off screens that deep, but he can. Yeah, I absolutely trade Derek Favors for Patty Mills. Here's what scares people about uh, Patty Mills and why he's available right now. First of all, he's shooting 35% on the year. You presume that will change. Um and just signed a four-year deal um, that's worth $50 million. Right. So it's a long-term deal. You're trading short-term money for long-term money. Basically, the Spurs opting out of that contract because he's played poorly early. And he's 29. Um, and he's 29. So he's so going to be old to by the time right. this exactly. deal is done. And he's he gets by on being small but quick. He's very quick right. uh, in the so half court. So if he can't good. do that, then is that worth uh, you know worth the selection? The other thing is, You've got Ricky Rubio, Donovan Mitchell as your point guards right now. Dante Exum is coming back at some point, um, maybe even next season. But you've got Rodney Hood, again, presumably for the rest of the year. Where does Patty Mills get his minutes? How many minutes does he play tonight? He's probably your fourth guard. Right. So, so he's taking all of Alec Burks' minutes. Sure. Which, which is great. <laughs> which is, believe me, you know, I'm, I'm pro someone taking yeah. Alec Burks' minutes, but Patty Mills is... Signed for $13 million a year for the next four years, yeah. and you want him to be your fourth guard taking Alec Burks' minutes? Okay, and you're right. You're a, a great... rebuilding team, and Patty Mills doesn't help a rebuilding team. Right. All right, you've got me uh, vetoing this Derek Fever's favorite like, trade that initially I pulled the trigger. No, I'm, I'm totally with you. I like I thought absolutely yes at first, no question, and then I was, eh. The the long term nature of that deal makes making me put on my Dennis Lindsay hat, which I know. is ultra patient, and I not I don't like you're being not that ultra patient. patient, not in that sense. Uh, this Celtics fan says Morris Yabusele and a Boston 2018 first. Yes. That's uh, absolutely, absolutely. Any yes. first plus any player. I think yes. Is, yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't think Danny Ainge offers that deal. I agree. And I, why would he? There's some neat, some idea that the Celtics need a big like that after all the bigs who have left, right. um, last off season. So I think there might be something there with the Celtics if you can get over, the bad blood that happened sure. after the, the Gordon Hayward negotiation and the, the, the refusal to do the yeah. sign-and-trade thing and all that. Um, I don't know, but Danny Ainge is also famously stingy with his guys. Right. I could see him trading Morris. I don't see him trading Yabu Sele. I don't see him trading that first. Right. Um, you know, unless the Jazz are getting a bad contract back or something like so that. So, no. Uh, yes, I would do that. No, I don't think Boston would. Agreed. Um... Let me scroll, find the next one. Uh, We're talking this is a fun hypothetical one. Derek Favors trades across the yes. NBA. Trevor Booker and two 2018 second rounders. Sure. Both of them are free agents this year. Um, you get second rounders. Derek Favors is obviously probably better than Trevor Booker, but Booker might be a better fit for what you want to do. And you might be able to keep Booker around long term. He might be Booker's a guy a free who comes agent, back. But, okay, counter counterpoint, if you want Booker, why not just get him as a free agent? Sure. Because he's because you know, this way you get two second round draft picks. If you're just going to yeah. sign a guy, why not add two? I mean, you know, that's what good GMs do. Okay, because, but then is Derek Favors worth two second round draft picks? Well, if you, 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 if you, you know you you're getting Trevor Booker that. back, I don't know if you can. Okay, maybe and not. And Nets second round draft picks are probably thirty five. Yeah, thirty eight. Okay. Those are good picks. That those are those are really good picks actually. So you're 
Yeah, okay. I'll so do it. If you're, if you're getting two Brooklyn picks back. Especially if you can show Trevor Booker over the last 30 games of the season that, hey, this is how we want to use you. I know this is how we already used you, but we, we continue to want to use you. Jazz have made that point before, and, and Trevor left on really good terms. Right. Um, there's no... It, they would be pretty confident that if... Let's put it that way. It's if, not a Paul Millsap situation. Right. If the Jazz wanted Trevor Booker this year and gave him the most money, Trevor Booker would come. Right. That's right. That's all there is to it. Uh, yeah, I would do that. And second round okay. picks aren't bad picks. They're good picks. They're nice to have. All right. Um, this Denver fan, not happy with Paul Millsap. Paul Millsap for Derek Favors, Joe Johnson, and a first. Jazz have to give up a first? Yes. No. Okay. Now, I like actually really like the Paul Millsap deal. Paul Millsap is a great fit next to Rudy Gobert. He is. He's, he's got a four-year be... deal. Only three of it's guaranteed, I believe. Mm-hmm. So that's nice. So you're really only getting him for two and a half seasons after this. at Expensive. Two seasons, actually. His third year is a team option. Okay. So that's really good. That's a really bad deal for uh, his agent. You do have to pay him $30 million next year. How's he playing this year? this year? Not great. Yeah. Um, They've been kind of disappointed with how much of the offense he's taken and kind of how he's taken the ball out of Jokic's hands. Um, but, like, the percentages are all in line with kind of what he's done. You know, he's shooting 45% from the field. Um, he's 33% from three, 15 points a game, six rebounds a game, a steal and a block a game. You know, kind of Paul Millsap stuff clearly is is getting maybe a little a step worse and so maybe you worry about what it is next year but again you have a, a team option on the third year so maybe it doesn't kill you um he's he's not a long-term answer but i i don't hate that deal the the problem is you're doing it for one more year of paul Millsap, and you have to give up a first i'm round not pick. giving up a pick because i the jazz have now made some mistakes giving up picks uh, and, and I get you had to have George Hill here to have any chance to sign Gordon Hayward because yeah. you had to make the playoffs, and George Hill was a huge reason you did it. So in that sense, the Jazz didn't make a mistake. Hindsight, yeah. the Jazz could have had Torian Prince as their starting power for, or a small forward right now mm-hmm. uh, who's a good player, and he's going to be a good player in the NBA a long time and is better than George Hill right now. Yes. And the Jazz could have had him or some other player. And right now, without Gordon Hayward... You would have rather had Torian Prince, but I get that you had to make that you had to, deal. Right. Again. So I'm not saying the Jazz can't do that, but what they, they can't do that again. They can't yeah. go short-term option for a first-round pick when right now they're re- there's no reason for the Jazz to play the short-term game right now right. at all. And, and yeah, Paul Millsap's probably too old. And, and you know, maybe if you had that Oklahoma City first still, which you know could turn out to be two seconds or something like that, and I guess you could do that with one of your current picks. But again, I... I'm kind of with you. Again, having Paul Millsap next to, to Rudy Gobert is a great fit. It's exactly it's, what you want. It's And five years ago, I'd love to have him yes. right next to Rudy Gobert. Uh, I'm also leery, and, and not that these guys don't make mistakes. These guys make mistakes. I'm leery of smart guys who get rid of players at the right time, like Budenholzer getting count? rid of Millsap at the okay. right time. Gotcha. Bud, who's really smart and is running, I think he's running the front office too right now, mm-hmm. right? Uh, he's a Spurs guy. He's a Quinn type. I mean, he Quinn comes from his his tree, right? They're, They're buddies. They all come from the Spurs. He recognized something in Millsap and got rid of him, and it looks like that's coming to fruition. Or was it just that the Hawks wanted to tank, and Millsap's too good of a player to have on a tanking? Roster? That's certainly part of it as well. Uh, th- that's part of it, and no doubt about it. Because yeah, Atlanta's one of the worst teams in the NBA this year, uh, and, and having Millsap there doesn't make any sense. But at the same time, I think they were like. Let's instead of bringing Paul Millsap back and saying, "Hey, we still got 
uh, Torian Prince that we still got Dennis Schroeder. Yeah. If we add a, if we add Tabo Cephalosha or whatever, Dwayne Deadman. If we go out and get a couple yeah, of these pieces, we can compete and probably actually make the playoffs in the East. You have Paul Millsap, sure. you have Schroeder, you have Prince, and you go get. But, but three. that's exactly what they wanted to avoid. Is, is that franchise has no future right. whatsoever? So they again they said let's not do the short term thing with Paul Millsap, but which I'm is th- what the Jazz would be engaging in. Right. Agreed. And I think that's yeah. So I think they would both want to avoid to make that mistake, even though. Um, you know, so here's the thing, and it's, again, it's a tempting offer. And I'm certainly not including Joe Johnson because I want to get something back for Joe Johnson, and you can get something back for Joe Johnson. Yeah. No, I agreed. But you can get a piece back for Joe Johnson. You're not going to get. Marquise Chris, don't get me wrong, you're not getting a, an, an exciting young player. Right. And, and, you know, a team that's bad and in the rebuilding process is not going to take on Joe Johnson. But can you get, who's the, Cedric, who's the, the kid that's the, uh, he's not even on Cleveland this year. Oh, Steady Osman. Can you get a player like that for a team that says, Maybe. man, we are, we are selling out this year to win it all? Or does Boston this year or Toronto this year say, you know what? The East is legitimately wide open. We can make the finals this year if we have that guy. Right. And will we go and give up the 29th pick in the draft, the 28th Maybe. pick in the draft, and then can you get rid of Joe Johnson? Is it, is it more likely to get Joe Johnson or Derek Favors? Get rid of Joe, and rid of is the wrong word, but trade away Derek Favors or Joe Johnson for a first-round pick? From, Joe Johnson. From, you think? Because okay. he's done it. Okay, but he's 37 and hasn't been doing it this year. Sure, and he's hurt this year. And we'll see where he does yeah, when he comes I back think from injury and if he can really play. Uh, you know, and, and both of them were big reasons why the Jazz won the playoff series last year against the Clippers. Yes. I don't want to say Joe Johnson did it and Derek Favors didn't because Derek Favors probably won the Jazz at least a game or two in that series. But I'll take Joe Johnson because I like his skill set late in game. All right, I have the best trade of the bunch. Okay, best good Rodney or best Hood bad? Rodney Hood and Derek Favors, okay. most interesting. Rodney Hood and Derek Favors for Matthew Delvadova and Jabari Parker. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I want Jabari Parker's restricted rights okay. because I love what's going on in the NBA if you control a restricted free agent's rights. Because worst case scenario, That's you what... pay him. Best case scenario, Nerlens Noel, and no one wants to pay him. Mm-hmm. And you say, okay, we'll, we'll pay you. This is what the offer is now. You Someone's... don't want to be a one-year deal so he's an unrestricted free agent the next season. But yeah, I love that opportunity. But to me, I think that's so much about need and fit in the NBA. Like, uh, with... With Nerlens, it's just so hard to find a landing sure. spot for him that fit. Okay, Jabari could fit on a lot of rosters, right? And there are a lot of young teams with cap space next year that could pay him that money. How right? many? How many guys out of that draft got money? Now I know those guys are two separate yeah, drafts. There, not but how many. many guys actually got paid? Wait, not that many. the Jabari? Or are you talking the Jabari draft? draft. These I guys mean, now who can Wiggins, get their extensions, their yeah. big extensions. Embiid, Andrew Wiggins, Joel Embiid, Rudy Gobert. Uh, not that many. Because, again, you, teams are happy to go into restricted free agency and say, all right, test the market. We don't care how good you are. Julius Randle's not going to be with the Lakers very long. You, you know that you, you don't mind getting into these spots with some of these younger players because there's a there's a decent chance you end up getting a discount on it. Right. Uh, yeah, it's fair. He's the other draft, but, yeah, I get what you're saying. Rodney Hood was that draft. Right, thank you. Uh, and the Jazz were fine going to restricted free agency with Rodney Hood because yep. I'm guessing the Jazz didn't pay him anywhere near what he actually wanted. So I, I love the idea of getting Jabari Parker's uh, restricted free agent rights next season. And, I, yeah, I would even do it for Rodney Hood. Okay. Even though I know Rodney yeah. Hood's kind of a, a piece you're giving up, the upside of a guy like Jabari Parker is so much higher than Rodney Hood or Derek Favors at this point still. I'm with that. I, I, I'm with you there. And I think, yeah, you you risk paying him despite two ACL tears, but I think you have three months where you see how he does after those ACL tears. 
and you kind of, you know, again, with those rights, you can pay him whatever that player is, not necessarily, you don't have to extend him right away. Uh, and again, I would go after Jabari Parker even if you don't trade you for him this offseason. Sure, right. Uh, next year, I would absolutely go after him in the offseason. Now, the Bucks may not want to lose one of their good assets for nothing at that point. Right. Uh, but I would go after him. And not it's not the inner Jimmer in me. It's not the fan of, uh, of Jabari in me from who he was in college or in high school or anything like that. It's because he actually fits a lot of what the Jazz need and is in this weird sliver where the Jazz need flawed free agents to come to Utah. Mm-hmm. And he's a very flawed free agent coming off injuries. One fun, one fun reason I think this is actually sort of possible. First of all, Delhi's a bad contract, and especially now that they have two point guards who are better than him in Eric Bledsoe and, and Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, but then Rodney Hood takes Tony Snell's minutes, and Derek Favors takes Thon Maker and John Hansen's minutes. I mean, th- this, these are big upgrades for this, for this Bucks roster in my mind. Yeah. And who gave Matthew Delvedova that bad contract? That would be Justin Zanuck. Where's he work now? <laughs> uh, does he work for the Utah Jazz? He does. Oh, man. Weird. I mean, all right. All right. Zanuck wasn't, wasn't in no, charge. No, he was then, the number right? two but, guy. Well, but it, I'm sure he was talking. And yeah. we know he does stuff with contracts. We know that's kind of why the Jazz had him originally. So at least that's my knowledge of it. Mm-hmm. That's what Dennis Lindsay said when they hired him. Uh, and the other guys I've talked to about him. which is I other said, we hired the guy who people. hired Delhi. No, I, I love Jay-Z. But. Yeah, right. But that's, you know, he knows some of those guys. So maybe that's something he can pull off. Yep. Anyways, all right. We're going to take a break. I want to look at rookies in the NBA. Coming up on the other side and actually look at some big picture NBA stuff, including get you updated on some scores tonight. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. This is the Salt City Hoop Show. On ESPN 700. The home of the best Utah Jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. Andy Larson, Ben Anderson. Find Andy on Twitter at Andy B. Larson. Tweet at me at Ben's Hoops. We're going to talk some rookies coming up here in just a minute, but we had two. We had 480 characters and tweets just sent at us. Yeah. Why don't we read them? From Brandon Whitesides, one of the uh, more passionate fans on Twitter, but asks a lot of questions. First of all, why do we insist on shooting threes when we are not making them? Well, because they're, they're good shots. Like, well, yeah, okay. What shots are you going to shoot in shoot... place of those? Right. That's a question, right? Like, you can take the twos. I should I should respond to Brandon with this graph I was showing you earlier before the show even began when showing our our producer yep. JP every single shot that you take that's beyond five feet is the same has the same chance of going in whether it's ten right. feet five feet or right. twenty six feet so what should you do in that in that sense so you should take the ones that are worth, worth three more points. points yeah right and so that that's why so that, yeah. Because, yeah, it's not like the Jazz all of a sudden, if they started shooting the mid-range game, they turn into DeMar DeRozan and prime Tim Duncan and are no. hitting that shot everywhere. In fact, it's worse. The, right. the Jazz get significantly worse if they stop shooting threes. Right. It's not like Tabo Cephalosha is a, is a great mid-range shooter. Right. Um, now, maybe, you know, Ricky Rubio, sure, but Ricky Rubio is taking a ton of He does take shots. a bunch of mid-range, and so does Derek Favors. Right. The Jazz, better mid-range shooters, shoot a lot more mid-range, and even then the Jazz are saying, you should probably be taking more threes, Derek Favors. Mm-hmm. And so they haven't taken threes. Has the game really changed that much that we have to get rid of the big man game? No. Probably. Well, okay, talk about the big man game. Right. Uh, Jaleel Okafor? Yeah, get the hell out. Yeah. De- uh, Rudy Gobert? No, we love you. you you're a rim <laughs> right. roller? You can roll to the rim and catch lobs and dunk? DeAndre Jordan? I rim want you on my team. more important than ever. Right, yeah, I want those guys on my team. So no, the big man game's not dead. It changed the same way guards' games changed. The game mm-hmm. has changed. It's not just big guys or guards. The game has changed. Agreed. Uh, why don't we play to our strengths instead of trying to copy the Warriors? I don't know that the Jazz have taken a lot from the Warriors playbook. Hey, what are the Jazz strengths? Jazz strengths are defense. 
Right? I mean, okay. uh, so he's are asking, you asking about offense. offensive well, strengths? Brandon right. is. Yeah, that's fair. And again, I'm not trying to hammer anyone here. I'm just, I'm trying to walk through this as well. These are good yeah. questions. Jazz's offensive strengths are they move the ball and should probably be getting some open shots and really Rudy Gobert rolling to okay. the rim. I was driving around and I'm a dork, so this is what I was thinking about. What is the number one option for the Jazz on every set ideally? Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert rolling to the rim and a lob or a dunk. Duncan. What's number two? Number two is probably like kick out three to Joe Ingles or Rodney Hood. Okay, that's fine. Then that's yeah, that's what you're hoping for. Number you're, three, then there's not one, and then you're just a nightmare. Yeah, right. You're just getting to that point where you're a nightmare. So when a play breaks down, you take away those two things, which every single defense in the NBA can take away the first two things you're trying to do. Every yeah, single some, defense uh, can take away the first two things you're trying to do. That doesn't mean stop it, but that means contain it. Mm-hmm. Now, unless you have James Harden and you try and stop James Harden, well, you can't stop James Harden. You can't stop LeBron James. The you thing can't with stop James Steph Harden. Curry. Is there's an option three there, which is James Harden scores, right? Right. And Ricky Rubio is not that guy, right? So the Jazz don't have a good default third, fourth, fifth option. And last year they did, right? Because Gordon, Gordon Hayward, Hayward is, is really good. He, Gordon Hayward's your number one option, and then your number two option is Rudy, and then Gordon Hayward's your third option, and then maybe Rodney Hood's your fourth, and then you go back to Gordon Hayward in ISO mid range, ISO layup, mm-hmm. pull up three, <laughs> you know, all yeah. those things, high screen, like all these different all the things you can do, right? That, that you can do, mm-hmm. and and even Joe Johnson, you don't even have Joe Johnson right now, right? So that's why the Jazz are are in bad shape offensively. Lastly, is analytics dead? No, analytics is, uh, a- analytics disproves everything we just talked about, right? I mean, they're the yeah. reason why you need to do everything you just kind of talked about not doing. So it, analytics killed the big man game. Yeah. So, right. no, analytics is more alive than ever. That's why you don't see big man teams succeeding. You know, if that's the case, the Pellies should be the best team in the league, right? right. They have they're far Marcus from Cousins, who's might be, is probably the best offensive center in the league, and Anthony Davis, who's. And is the best offensive center since Shaq. Yes. By a huge, by, I mean, easily. There's no one who's even comes close to that. Yeah. And then Anthony Davis, who's the best offensive power forward in the league. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. Besides, yeah, by uh, far. Do you count LeBron James as a power forward? Or I mean, Giannis? Like, like yeah. Right. Kevin Durant? I mean, yeah. There are sure. a lot of these guys but who true play power big forward. Men. You're talking right. about, if you're talking traditional big men, right, he's by far the best power forward in the league, scoring-wise. Offensively, yeah. Yeah. And they are a 35-win team. So, the big man, traditional big man is dead. Boogie Cousins is still valuable, but he shoots a lot of threes. Mm-hmm. He still blocks a Anthony lot of Davis shots. Davis does too. Yeah, I mean, these guys are still valuable, but they kind of indicate what you have to do to add to your game in order to be that guy. Hey, let's talk rookies. Uh, rookies in the NBA right now. 69 rookies have played one game or more. Right now, Donovan Mitchell has the second worst win share total yeah. at negative point two. You miss a lot of shots, that's going to happen. Like, you, you know... You, Win shares is an efficiency stat, so you shoot 33% or whatever he's at. Okay, let's do this. Let's look at the top guys. Let's look okay. at the—I'm going to cherry pick here a little bit. Let's look at the four top guys. Okay. Jason Tatum's number one at 1.6. Kyle Kuzma's number two at 1.0. Ben Simmons, number three at 1.0, so tied mm-hmm. for second. Laurie Markkinen, who I love, I loved before the draft, 0.8. He's number four. Okay, what, what do all those guys have in common? How tall are they? V tall. Uh, six like ten? six, six yeah, at least plus? yeah, six eight plus. I don't know exactly how big Kuz is, but he's around there. Yep. Tatum's around that same size. Those guys are all six eight plus. What do they all also do? They shoot the three. Yeah, they're all also very good. Okay, let's look at the bottom guy, the bottom windshare guys. Uh, Dennis ben Simmons Smith. doesn't shoot the three. We should sure. Okay, that I should say that. But yeah, Ben Simmons is the number one pick for all the reasons besides that he doesn't shoot. But it's still six foot nine, and, and yeah, can, can can shoot the ball a little bit at least 
inside the free throw line. <laughs> uh, Dennis Smith. 0% three-point shooter. Uh, Dennis Smith is what? How tall is he? 6'3"? Six six. Yeah. Donovan Mitchell, how tall is he? 6'3". Frank Mason, how tall is he? Guard out of uh, Kansas. Josh Jackson's big. Okay, that doesn't make sense. Joe Chi doesn't fit in there. Frank Tilakina, what position does he play? Point guard. No, he's four. tall, yeah. but he's a point guard. Luke Kennard, how big is he? 6'4". Okay. 6'5". I don't know. Yeah. Markel Fultz, now I know he's injured. What position does he play? He's a point, point guard. guard. Okay, Lonzo Ball's 58, so he's in the bottom 10. It's really, really hard to be a guard and mm-hmm. be good early. The best, it's never been better to be six foot eight and be able to spread the floor a little bit. And that's actually one of the things I want to say about Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons can spread the floor because he's a good passer. Right. He, he has the ability to, to, to move bodies around on the floor because he can get, he can pass the ball anywhere he wants it. And he's so good at the, at finishing around the rim, right? So, so if you have, you have that to means that you have to be defended, you, you know, it's, it's a different ballgame. But then um, again, I don't think anyone's looking at, Donovan Mitchell and saying, ah, his wind shares are bad. Right. He's a bad player. And I'm not trying to say that was the argument. I'm just saying, you, you look right now, guards who str- rookies who struggle are guards. Rookies who are playing well are six foot eight, six foot nine, and kind of playing the, these great positions that exist right now in the NBA, uh, which are these guys who can, who, who can kind of do a lot of different things. Yeah. But it, the wind shares is kind of unfair to these guys too, because it is like such an efficiency number. Right. And like we said, there's just no chance at a rookie being able to, you know, shoot efficiently unless you're you're a really big kind of a role player, really kind of playing ten minutes a game. Uh, but but I actually do think that does pass the eye test of who the best players have been so far. Uh, other than Donovan Mitchell, there there is there is a lot that passes the eye test there, where Jason Tatum has been really good, Ben Simmons has been really good, Kuzma has been very surprisingly. Good this season. I don't hate what uh, Dennis Smith has done. I mean, uh, there again, there are a lot of turnovers, and that's going to make your winters real bad. Right. And the and the Mavs are not going to be a good team. But in terms of NBA future potential, I like having a lot of turnovers because it means he's having a big he's having a big role in the offense. He has a lot of responsibility on his shoulders, and he hasn't completely ruined that. You know, in 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 any sense. Uh, and he's starting. I mean, he's being asked right. to start against and, at, at and in the using deepest 30% position of possessions in the deepest position in NBA history that we've ever seen. Yeah. We've never seen this much this much talent at one position in NBA history as we see right now at point guards. Because there are nights when Chris Paul is one of the best we've ever seen, and there are nights when he's nowhere close to the best point guard on the floor. Yeah, because he's playing against Steph, or he's playing against Russell Westbrook, or he's playing against any of these number of guards who are incredible. Are you concerned about Lonzo Ball? Does, does this scare you now? Because you and I both liked him before the draft. I really thought he had a chance to be special because he did have a chance to be special. That's why he was the number two overall yeah. pick. Are you at the point where you're starting to say, hey, there's too much, too many things here where it actually no. is concerning? Like, I, I think people, it's it's really a hype machine thing, right? Like, people thought sure. he would be, because he was the number two pick, people thought he would be like, what, a 20-point-a-game oh. scorer? He's not that, and it's never going to be that, and I never right. thought he would be that. I thought he was going to be a unique elite feel of the game kind of guy um, who can set up his teammates for really good possessions and and make his team better. Now, I don't know, you know, you look at the the play-by-play numbers and it's not bad. The Lakers are getting outscored by 3.2 points when he's on the floor per 100. That's not it's not terrible. I I, I just think that, you know, LeVar made it so that there was all this hype around right. him and has he lived up to superstar hype? No. Right. Has he lived up to his dad's has, hype? No. No. But has he like lived up to what's reasonable to expect from a rookie? Yes, absolutely. Here's what's hard for him: there have been a, this is a really good rookie class, and he hasn't been one of the best players. Right. So there might end up he might end up being a bust just based solely on the fact that there are so many good players drafted behind right, you're gonna him. Wish you had taken Donovan or Dennis right. Smith or you know whatever it is. Maybe I I could see that, but I I 
you know, Markel Fultz hasn't looked good. Right, and there's or real whatever. serious questions there with his shoulder and what Philly did to hurt that shoulder or whether he hurt it doing something else and now Philly's protecting him. Yeah. There's weird questions there. Not worried. Uh, let's talk about the top scorers right now because this is who's going to make up your All-NBA team uh, and who's going to make up your Rookie of the Year candidates. Okay. Ben Simmons leads all rookies right now, 17.8 points per game. He's been fabulous. He was fabulous when he was here in Salt Lake. He's just a great basketball player. Yeah, I mean, what are the odds he wins Rookie of the Year at this point? 75%? Very high. Jason Tatum's going to give him a good run for his money, though, because Jason Tatum's really good. Uh, Ben Simmons, though, has been the best rookie so far. I'm curious if he ever shoots the three, if he ever develops that. He might have to, but he's not right now, and and he seems to be fine without it. Number two, a guy who I think surprised a lot of people— shouldn't have if you saw him at Arizona, though I know there were there, there was just this weird question about whether European players were ever going to play defense, whether they're ever going to rebound. And you forget that Laurie Markkinen was one of the best shooters we've ever seen in college history. Mm-hmm. He was phenomenal. He's been really good this year. He's been one of the lone bright spots for Chicago this season. He's averaging 16 points a game, 43% from the floor, uh, 38% from the three-point line, and he's going to be a guy who probably gets close to 50-40. Uh, I don't know if... He's an 83% free throw shooter. He's not a 50-40-90 guy. But not this year, but not you know, this year, but maybe, maybe in the future day. he can get up there. I think, you know, he's he's getting a bigger role than some of these other guys because Chicago is so bad. So and, bad. You know, they they can spend all that time on him. Whereas, you know, even with a guy like Kyle Kuzma, there's a lot more offensive talent around him. Certainly Jason Tatum, even Ben Simmons, you know, he's not the number one guy on that. Team. Right. Uh, speaking of Kuzma, he comes in at number three, 15 points a game, 14.9. But again, I lo- he's shooting 45% from the floor and 66% from, from inside the three-point line. Just 31% right now from beyond three where he was incredible during the summer league. Uh, but you know what? If he's above 30, 33%, that's way more than anyone else thought. He's so much better than I thought he would be. And I, you know, I, I keep saying this over again. And I'm not the only one, right? Like, I, I we think, went 28th, right. 29th. Sure. Whatever yeah, he went. And, he was and, late first but round. I pick. thought that that was an overdraft, right? I mean, you, you look at what he was. Honestly, if you look at what he was in Utah, right. That kind of player does not really translate to the NBA like this very frequently. Uh, but one thing you are going to start seeing guys is saying, hey, there's a 6'8 guy who can dribble and rebound and pass and can score a little bit. You just have to draft that guy now in the NBA Maybe. with the hopes that he turns into Kyle Kuzma, Maybe, actually. Yeah. Uh, Giannis, you know, you hope that these long guys who can play a bunch of positions and end up being And some of them might turn into Trey Lyles. Oh, most of them will. But if you hit on one, they become really valuable. Uh, other guys averaging over 10 points a game right now is rookies Dennis Smith, Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell, De'Aaron Fox, Mike James, John Collins, and uh, my guy Bogdan Bogdan. Bobo. Bogdan Bogdanovich. It's a, it's a very good rookie class. Yep. and that, Yeah, that's exciting because you're not even talking about Malik Monk, Josh Jackson, Lonzo Ball, these guys who are going to be very good players in the future. How about Dylan Brooks contributing for this Memphis team? Yeah. Exciting. I, I liked him, too, and no one else liked him in the draft. Not no oh, one. He got drafted. I mean, so people loved him. <laughs> He's one of the 60 best players in college last yeah. year. Someone paid him half a mil. Yeah, but I liked him, uh, and, he, and he made it, and he's actually an okay player. Uh, all right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to look at some scores around the NBA, talk about some NBA stories. It's the Salt City Hoop Show. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson on ESPN 700. Listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. We're watching a little basketball tonight. I got to pull up some scores here. Uh, the Cavaliers just lost on the road to the Rockets. The Rockets were up big. Most of that game by big, I mean 10 points, which in the NBA, actually now with teams that shoot threes like Houston, like Golden and maybe, State. Maybe, yeah, not for the Rockets. 10's not necessarily big, but they were up by 10 for most of the game. Uh, Cavaliers were down two. Warriors had the ball. Warriors. Rockets had the ball. 
had missed it, and the Rockets got the offensive rebound and covered on the next Put play. it up. Yeah, scored yeah. points, 1-117, one, 113. Um, in other scores, you've got the Raptors beating the Pellies, 122-118. to A lot of high scores tonight. And then the Wizards beating the Lakers, 111-95, and a pretty easy win in Washington. Right the now, NBA Thunder scores, and Nuggets just got underway, 7-5. to The NBA scores look like the 80s right now. You're having a lot of guys scoring over 30 points a game, having a lot of games that are 122 to 118. You know, you're getting some of these weird high-scoring games again that you used to see when the pace felt really high in the NBA, and then they changed a little bit, again. and then it's back up again, which is fun. It's fun to it, it. It's not necessarily fun that it's better than what we saw in the '90s. It, it's smarter basketball now. It's better yeah. basketball now. Certainly, it doesn't mean it's more fun to watch, but I like that it's different than what we used to watch because I just like change. I like seeing how the league adjusts, and then who adjusts to it? And who does? I think doesn't? it's a more creative game than it was. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just and smarter. I think that that's part of what I've always liked about basketball is is kind of the teamwork and you know that that creativity. Um, less and you can't so solve it. The the thuggery. I always like that about the, basketball. The mugging and all that. You can't uh, you can't solve basketball, uh, even when it feels like it has. Which is a Warriors team that wins seventy three games. You can still have LeBron go out and beat them. Yeah. So you can't solve basketball, and it'll always change. It'll always get better. And you will add to this now this this long ball game that we're playing. Teams will adjust and get better and figure out how to do it more efficiently, even than this, mm-hmm. and, and it will continue to change. Uh, let's talk standings. Then I want to ask you a question. Right now in the Eastern Conference, your top eight teams, the Celtics, 10 and 2. Pistons, off to a surprisingly hot start at 8 and 3, though they were trying to get in on the Eric Bledsoe trade, apparently for Reggie Jackson in a first round draft pick, meaning they're not totally sold on the core they have right now and no. thought they could get better, but maybe they were trying to get better because they thought they could actually be really good this season. Well, and I think the bigger thing is they just don't really buy Reggie Jackson, I right. think, as, as a long-term piece. Um, They've got weird clearly, pieces, though, that they clearly don't buy in, like Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who they rescinded his rights this mm-hmm. offseason. Stanley Johnson looks like a non-future player yeah. for them. He's a bad fit. With, well, he's not a bad fit, but I'm just not sure he, he fits as well as they would have liked him to when they drafted him in the lottery. Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, Magic coming at number three. That won't, n- neither the Pistons or the Magic will stay there. Uh, no. Raptors are at number four, seven and four. They will climb. 76ers at six and four. They're interesting. They could hover around 500 depending on how much Joey, uh, Joel Embiid's able to play and maybe even get higher. Sure. Wizards should jump into the top four at some point this season. They're six and five. One of the most interesting teams because they've got one of the top, what, seven players in the NBA right now? New York Knicks. Maybe. Uh, they're six and five right now and Chris Dapps has been off to just an unbelievable start. He's scoring over 30 points a game seemingly every night. He's super efficient, and the Knicks are playing well around him. Yes. Uh, and then number eight, the Hornets coming at five and six. Believe it or not, the Cavs are at five and six also. I bet you by the end of the season, the Cavs are in it. Maybe. But they're in the conversation. <laughs> that, seems, that seems like a good bet. Uh, tomorrow's opponent for the Jazz, too, the Miami Heat, are also five and six. Uh, Bucks four and six. Yeah, a little bit surprising. Well, remember, the Bucks started out. Everyone thought uh, this was the season. I mean, this was it. They had figured it but out. They have, they have Giannis. I mean, yeah, you have one of the top five players in the NBA. Well, top five statistical players in the NBA. Yeah. Let's see if he knows how to win games. Let's see if he knows how to get teams winning games. They had a cool win over Portland earlier in the season where he had the steal and the dunk to seal it or to win it. Uh, but they're not winning games either. Let's see how this Eric Bledsoe trade works out, which I was completed yesterday. Don't think Jason Kidd is a good coach. Uh, no. And actually had this conversation with a friend of ours of who's the worst coach in the NBA. There's one obvious one. Alvin uh, Gentry. Yeah. And then who's number two? It's hard. Uh, There's good coaches in the NBA right now. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think you have to look. I mean, I said some nice things about Jay Triano earlier, but given his track right. record, maybe not. Um, Jay Kidd's in that conversation. Jason Kidd's in that conversation. Yeah. There's one other guy who I think is in that conversation. We're going to get to him coming up here in just a minute. Ooh, okay. Warriors, number one in the West, nine and three. Rockets, number two, eight and three. That won't surprise me if that's how okay. we finish uh, the Western Conference. Timberwolves coming at number three. They're seven and four, but they're tied with the Spurs and Grizzlies at seven and four. Grizzlies off to a nice start despite losing Zebo. They've got a foundation. 
The, the Jazz don't have a foundation. The uh, Timberwolves also are have a negative point differential despite being seven and four, which is unusual. Uh, and you know they've beat some okay teams. They beat some bad teams. They didn't look great last night against Golden State, but sometimes and they look really good. And sometimes they look really bad, even within the same game. Good in clutch wins, which has been the complete opposite of what they've been. Jimmy Butler has not been what they expected him to be. He's no, not he's, quite fit in yet. Uh, he's. It's not that it's a weird fit, and he's he's doing all the right things, but he's not been like a number one scorer type. That's been right. Wiggins. But also they have Wiggins now, who yeah. looks like he's taking that next step, which yeah. good for him. He's earned that hundred fifty million dollars, and he promised he would improve, and he has. Uh, Nuggets coming at number seven, six and five. Clippers come in at number eight, five and five. Pelicans number nine, six and six, and then the Jazz come in at five and six on the season. Thunder are four and six. I suspect the Thunder by the end of the year will climb up and be in that top eight. Yeah, and they're a team. You know, if we're going to point out the Timberwolves' negative differential, they're a plus five point seven positive differential, um, despite only being four and six. Okay, this kind of ties into the question I said I was going to tease you earlier. Okay, if you could trade franchises, and I mean everything involved right now, trade franchises. Who would you rather be a fan of, the Jazz or the Denver Nuggets? Oh, well, uh, Jazz, pretty easily. Okay, why? Um, I don't buy, I I don't think the Nuggets' front office is any good. Okay. Um, I don't think... Okay, let's First just look all, at talent. Let's talk about their front office real quick. Okay. Look at what they did on draft day. Oh, right, horrible. You traded Trey Lyles for Donovan Mitchell. Right. right. Horrible. Inexcusably bad. And... and in a bad process way too, you know. And we then you went about got Tyler Lydon. I mean, it just doesn't make yeah. any sense. What they did so it was horrible. That's real bad. Okay, let's go be. Let's go beyond. Let's okay. wipe out Would the front office. Would you rather have Jokic then. or Gobert? Let's say it's sixes. Even if okay. it's sixes, sure. sixes. Beyond that, the Nuggets have more talent on their roster than the Jazz do. Would you rather have Donovan Mitchell or Jamal Murray? Probably Donovan Mitchell at this point, but Gary Harris, I would take over near the Jazz guards right now. Long term. Yeah, no, you'd rather have Donovan Mitchell than Gary no, Harris. No, I mean other than Donovan Mitchell. Oh, okay, sure. As yeah. my second agreed, guard, agreed. I would rather have Gary Harris sure. over any of those but guys. But you're also now paying him four years, $80 million. Right. So it's not a it's not a huge bargain. Um, You've got Millsap. Yeah. You've got Trey Lyles and Tyler Lyles. You've got Millsap for the next two years. Right. They're a more talented team than the Jazz are right now. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Is Mike Malone the third worst coach in the NBA right now? Ooh, no. No? No. Okay. I, I like I like Mike Malone a lot. And you look at, again, what he did in Sacramento, which is better than anyone else has ever done in Sacramento. Um, I, I don't know that he's an above-average head coach, but I don't think he's the worst head coach. What do you think he's the worst head coach? Or, you know, the third worst. Oh, I, well, I mean, he's never had success. He he had, he was, what, the he, he was the one guy who could get along with Boogie Cousins and that got sure. him a job? Is that a thing? It's, you're right. <laughs> Being able to get along with Boogie, well, Boogie okay, just doesn't win. Who cares? Yeah. If you don't win, I don't care if you're a good guy. Doesn't matter to me. Like, and that's the thing. Is Luke Walton a better coach? That's the thing. Mike Luke Walton's Walton? really unknown right now. Is Kenny Atkinson a better coach? Maybe not. But again, those guys are so new. The other guy to, to throw in this conversation, awful. Fred Hoiberg, is, is one of Alvin the Gentry ones. bad. Yeah. But Jason Kidd is bad. Pace, okay, Nate McMillan is, is Nate might not be a very bad. good coach. Yeah. Otherwise, everyone has good coaches. Everyone has good coaches. Mavericks have Rick Carlisle. They're the worst team in the NBA. He's one of the top five coaches in the league. No question about it. Heat aren't very good this year. Spolster's a great coach. There are great bud in Atlanta right now. Phenomenal coach. They're mm-hmm. terrible. So it's hard to look at bad they're teams and bad coaches. Purpose, right? right like, exactly. Again, it's process over results. All right. Big thanks to our producer Emily today. Big okay. thanks to Andrew Larson. Thanks for having me here, Andy. Yeah. He's Andy Larson. Find him on Twitter at Andy B Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. Find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. It's the Salt City Hoops Show on ESPN 700.